This is the Ball Talk Pod with Evan Kitzer and Shaden Jones. Starting now. Good afternoon and thanks for tuning in to the Ball Talk Pod with Evan Kitzer and Shaden Jones. We are very excited to have former NBA player Tracy Murray with us today. Tracy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. Tracy played for six teams in his 11-year NBA career, playing for the Trailblazers, Rockets, Raptors, Wizards, Nuggets, and Lakers. Tracy was, a, was an NBA champion in 1995 as a member of the Houston Rockets, playing alongside Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. In college, Tracy ended his career at UCLA as the fifth all-time winning scorer in the program's history after a successful run from 1989 to 1992. After Tracy's playing career, he was an assistant coach for the Bakersfield Jam in the NBA G League, the Tulsa Shock of the WNBA, and also the shooting coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. When hired by the Lakers, former head coach Byron Scott said of Tracy that he was one of the purest shooters he has ever seen. So clearly Tracy has seen a lot in his NBA days, and we are so glad to have him on. Our first topic of the day is your career at UCLA. As I said earlier, you had a great career at the university, finishing as the fifth all-time winning scorer upon graduation. When thinking of some of the other great players who have gone through there, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, Gail Goodrich, Jamal Wilkes, and Sidney Wicks, you will always be remembered as one of those great ruins. With all of these Hall of Famers who attended the school, there is a great history there. Did the history of the program go into your decision to go there, or was it something else? I think it was a combination of a few things. The history, the tradition, of course, was a, was a major reason why I went there. Um, also, if you look at those guys, they established something over there. They established a winning attitude. They played for Coach Wooden. Even coaches after Coach Wooden went with his philosophy of the, the uh, pyramid of success. Uh, he's always had his hands on that program. Every day that he was alive, he was always around, whether it was practice or whether it was game. Um, they established a, a winning style, a winning attitude, uh, a togetherness over there. Um, another thing is, is, is Los Angeles is home for me. I grew up in Pasadena, California, so I grew up watching UCLA basketball. And then uh, going there... My, my family was, was close enough to come see me play every game. So, you know, there's a couple of, of factors of the reason why I went to UCLA. Yeah, as you said, the pyramid of, of success, I have a autographed John Wooden card, and I, uh, I guess uh, I was given this. Somebody gave this to me, and they mailed, they uh, sent a letter to John Wooden telling them how much he liked them and uh, asked for an autograph. And he sent back his business card with the pyramid of success on it. So I always, whenever I think of John Wooden, I do think of that because of that special card that I have. Uh, but yeah, you always grew up around the UCLA Bruins. I actually grew up. I'm I'm from Kentucky, so I grew up a huge Kentucky fan. But I, I've transitioned into a UCLA fan because I, I love the way Lonzo played last year. I'm a huge Lonzo guy and. The, just their style of play and the way that Lonzo allowed them to play and uh, Coach Steve Alford let, made the team play, uh, it just me- really made me transition into a UCLA fan. But 
Speaking of Lonzo, what are your impressions of the former Bruin as he has done in his NBA career so far and what he did in his college career? Well, what people have to understand is Lonzo is a special player. He's a rare breed of today's uh, uh, player. There's very few guys in the NBA that can make everybody better around them. You know, that's almost a lost art, making your teammates better. And that was a guy that magic was with his team. So it's a perfect fit that Lonzo is with the Lakers and magic is back with the Lakers. He's able to mentor Lonzo and teach him, you know, from a, from a managerial standpoint, you know, he's always got his head in the, in the gym watching what's going on. So he's able to still have his hands on Lonzo and mentor him the right way. So, but what, what people fail to realize is, is they're expecting Lonzo to be great right now. I think he's very good right now, but you have to understand that he's a rookie. He's trying to figure things out. And, and because of, of how vocal his dad is, it makes it tough for the vast majority of fans to like Lonzo. But you have to judge Lonzo on Lonzo and how he's just trying to fill his way through. He's a high basketball IQ player that makes everybody better. And, and, and he's just figuring it out. And I think he's doing an excellent job so far. It's still early in the season and people are hitting panic buttons and people are talking trash. And then those who love Lonzo are going overboard to the haters saying we love Lonzo. So I just think I just think everybody needs to settle down and just watch this kid develop. Yeah, as you said, everybody's expecting him to be great right now. Magic Johnson, it took him he didn't he didn't come right out of college one year to NBA. He took a couple years. He played uh, for an NCAA championship team. He grew with his team. He had older veterans on the team. UCLA had some veterans on the team, but they weren't really to the, the level that Magic's teammates were. But also, whenever I think of Lonzo, I do think of Jason Kidd, another guy who played for a California school. Uh, it The way that Magic and Lonzo and Kidd are all able to make their teammates just so much better. Like, I th- how I've thought of it, Lonzo can turn a teammate who's like, you grade him as a C into a B plus. That's how, that's the way that Magic did it. That's the way Kid did it. Kid even did it so much that he didn't have that much help on his team, and he still made the, I think, the 2002 NBA Finals. So, But I do really think that Lonzo will have a phenomenal career in the NBA, not because he's just a, a great scorer, but because he knows how to win. He always does the play to help the team win, just like Magic and Kid did. Whether it is getting giving the ball off to a, another teammate, like Magic did with Worthy, off of one of his great passes, or if it is creating for himself and getting points and transition, he seems to always know the right thing to do and makes the right decisions. I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think Lonzo will ever be that true go-to guy like many of the point guards in the NBA are. But that's what makes him special. That he can still uses use his strengths wisely and win and still win games because he makes his teammates better. But I do think that uh, he should be able to score. He should be able to score on a consistent basis and make the defenders honest. But then again, Lonzo does show signs of being that go-to scorer. I know Pat Riley encouraged Magic to be that go-to scorer in his third year because the team, it, uh, 
he thought the team would be better if Lonzo, if uh, Magic, my bad, was scoring more. They had Kareem and Worthy and Scott, but they thought that if they added that another dynamic with Magic, they'd be even better. And they won the championship that year, and Magic won an MVP. But like we did see in Vegas when Lonzo dropped 36 points, and I actually met you in Vegas, so I know you saw Lonzo play. Uh, he is capable of these huge games, and even the other night, we saw Lonzo drop 29 points along with 9 assists and 11 rebounds. So I do think that the pen potential is there, but it just isn't how Lonzo likes to play. Well, I mean, you have valid points, but you have, you have to also keep the 29 points in perspective. Now, I got two views of the 29 points here. Number one, the positive view is he went out and got 29 and it's hard to get 29 in an NBA team, regardless of if it's the last place team or not. Uh, and, and, and then the flip side, the negative knock is it was the last place team, and they have no clue on how to play defense. So that, that, that's, that's two different ways you can look at that 29-point game. The bottom line is it happens. He can take it and grow on it. Um, but, but I don't think – if you look back at Magic, because we keep throwing Magic out there with Lonzo. When Magic came in and Kareem hurt himself against the Philadelphia 76ers and couldn't play game seven when, when Magic played all five positions, he went out and got 42 points that night. So I, I, don't, I don't think that Lonzo is quite there yet to go out and get 42 points. But then at the same time, if you look at Magic, that was the final game of the season, and Magic probably grew to that point. And and, and, and uh, he's all Magic always had that that scoring. He he always could score. He just chose to make everybody better. I, I really don't know at this point with Lonzo. You saw him go out and get 29, but I've always seen him, even through, all the way through high school. I've seen him really distribute the basketball, and that being his strong point, and pushing the ball and finishing in transition. So I'm still looking forward to seeing his game grow and him add pieces to his game to make him that type of player. The people say that Lonzo is a lot like Magic, but when thinking, putting the scoring perspective into, into your head, you, I, I think more of Jason Kidd with Lonzo because Jason was a – he kind of – he was a, he developed into a good three point shooter at the end, at the end of his career, but he that wasn't his bread and butter. Lonzo, I, it kind of is on his scoring is his three pointers. It it troubles me because you look at his percentages and it's not that great from three, but it consistently shoots it. I like that he keeps doing that because eventually it'll start dropping. But that's but, the NBA though. But that's the NBA. There's a lot of people that are not great at shooting the three point shot, but they're shooting it. It's the new analytic style of play to where they'd rather take threes than twos. So he's just a product of what's going on right now. So it's not it's not so much just him when it comes to that. It's the whole league. Yeah, you even see three um, back-to-the-basket big shooting three-pointers. I was watching the game – I was watching a game the other night, and I remember Jason – I was watching the game last night, and I was really surprised because I saw Jason Smith on the Wizards step out and shoot three-pointers, and – I was really surprised with this. And then you see last year, Brooke Lopez, who's been a dominant post presence for his entire career, started shooting three-pointers. He had 135 three-pointers last year. It's crazy how the game has transitioned. But 
Yeah, Alonzo yeah, will start getting it. If you honestly look at it, there's really no back-to-the-basket anything nowadays. Brooke Lopez started with his back-to-the-basket, but if you remember him at Stanford, his brother was playing with his back-to-the-basket, and Brooke was playing facing the basket. He was the forward, and, and Robin was the five. So Brooke is more comfortable at facing up and shooting jump shots because that's what he did in high school and college. And Robin was the guy that played with his back to the basket. So Brooke, Brooke can do both, but, but he, he prefers to face up because that's what he's more comfortable with. I was watching a Bulls game the other night, and I even saw – I was shocked because I, I looked at the box score and also I made sure it was the right person because I know what Robin Lopez looks like, but I saw Robin shooting three-pointers, and I was, I was very surprised because – I've watched Robin throughout his entire career, and I've never seen him shoot many jumpers at all. All he really does Man. is his long uh, hook shots. Like he does, like a he does like a sky hook, but he does a he doesn't put his legs up like Kareem. It'd be like a just a regular jump hook, but all the way back. So that's what that's the only time uh, Robin really scores. But um, speaking of Lonzo and UCLA, Lonzo isn't the only good player who has been at UCLA in recent years. They have had some really good players come through, like Zach Levine, Norman Powell, TJ Leaf, E.K. Anagbogu, Kevon Looney, and Shabazz Muhammad. They're, are also, they're in good hands with players like Jalen Hands, Chris Wilkes, and Leangelo Ball on the team now. What are you expecting for UCLA this year and also in the future? Well, this year, I mean, they're, they're talented. And, and um, we're going to know what they look like real soon because they have an exhibition game November 3rd. So uh, I'll be able to see. A... Are you there? Look at them. I get so much in practice with, uh, with, with UCLA because they're, they're playing against each other all the time, so they know each other well. But – to, to see them against somebody November 1st, they play against Cal State LA, that's when I'm going to see potentially how good they are. I know that they're talented right now, but I, I've been to two practices, and so I, I can see that they're talented. But they don't have that Lonzo ball on the team that can distribute the ball, be unselfish, and make it contagious to be unselfish. So that, that, that right there is what I'm worried about, and that's what I want to see uh, come November 1st. I want, I want to go there and take notes and be able to see exactly what they're bringing to the table moving forward. I think everybody's talking about how UCLA has lost TJ Leaf and Lonzo Ball, but I think a big thing of UCLA success last year was Bryce Alford. Uh, he really spread the court for UCLA to allow Lonzo to get to the rim and dish out to his open teammates, so I think that'll be a huge loss to the team. But I do think that this class can be really good with Hands and Wilkes as the most highly touted recruits on the roster. They will be looked upon to carry the team, but they also have some veteran leadership in Thomas Welsh. But I think Leangelo, Leangelo Ball, can have a big role too. He, he was only rated as a three-star recruit coming out of high school, but in my opinion, he is insanely underrated. He averaged over 37 points per game in high school and had a 70-plus point game. He can easily get buckets, He is, but I think that he is just knocked down a lot because he is not as flashy as the other players because 
he is more of a skill player rather than an athlete, more of a, a player that relies on his athleticism. Now, but, let me ask you a question. Okay. Because I need to ask this right now. And, and, and I've watched the Ball family play for years. I know him. Uh, I, and, I, and I really do like them. I like Leangelo. I, I like all of them as the kids, and I like the family, and I know the family. But this is my question to you. Have you seen these kids play? Yes. I've, Have you seen the style of play these kids play? Yep. They, uh, I like, whenever I play basketball, I'll try and play at them. I say, we run that Chino Hill stuff, make them run fast. But it's more than just running fast. Three-pointers. There's, there's and, yeah. no defense. There's long passes. There's no structure. So this is what he's being judged on, okay? He's being judged on taking 25 to 35 shots and only making eight. That's what he's being judged on. That's why they put the three-star, because he's not playing that family, their, or their, their travel ball team. They're not playing really a conventional style of play. And that's why they're being. That's why Leandro is looked at as, as maybe a three-star recruit instead of a five-star recruit. Maybe if they saw him play in a conventional system, they can see what his strengths are. You know what I'm saying? I, I think the the their style of offense it, it showcases Lonzo and it showcases Lamelo because they're handling the ball all the time. They're making the decisions. And it shows how special those two are, but it limits Leangelo because he either has to catch and shoot, or he has to post up, or he has to cherry pick. And so you really don't know and, and, and what he's going to bring to the table, and and that's why there's a question mark by him. I really hope that uh, things work out for him because he's the one that didn't handle the basketball. So there's a big question mark off of what he can really bring to the team besides shooting. So I really hope everything works out with him because I really like him as a person. I saw that he lost a lot of weight. Uh, his body looks good. So I, I'm really hoping things work out for him. Yeah, as you said, the post-up is a big part of his game, but he's only, I think he's only 6'6", six, six, so he's, and he's, right, he right. plays That's like, why there's a question mark. That's why there's a question mark, because he posted up smaller guys, and guys are bigger and stronger in college. And because you never really saw him put the ball on the deck and create a shot. You saw Lonzo and LaMelo create for him to shoot or post up. See, that's why, that's why there's questions about what he can bring. And hopefully he develops all of that, and hopefully he stays in school long enough to develop all of that so he can be somebody that can create a shot. But as LeVar says, he, he's going to be a one-and-done even if he doesn't do that well at UCLA. So I think that's – I think for Leangelo's best shot to get the NBA, other than go directly to the Lakers, even though that's what LeVar wants, I think he does he needs to stay at least two to three years, get good in uh, Steve Alford's system, and then – Learn to. He needs. He really needs to work on his defense and things other than his. He's he's really one dimensional. He can do. He can shoot and he can post up smaller guys. Whenever the there's not there's not even that many post ups in the NBA. So I mean that's a big part of his game. And without that in the NBA, he's going to struggle. I think he could be a really good small ball stretch four in the NBA. 
but you have to be able to play defense there. It's versatility in the NBA. So I do think you gotta look at you gotta look at what position he's gonna be playing in, in the NBA. He's gonna be playing a two. They're gonna probably slide him down to the three because he's stronger, but he's extremely small at the three now. When you're looking at guys that are six nine and six ten playing the playing the three spot, so now it's like okay, moving to the two. Well, he doesn't really possess the two skills other than shooting. He might be able to post up, but what team are going to make special privileges for a, a, a two guard to post up? I mean, unless he's the guy on the team, and, you know, he's going and, and, and just looking forward, you know, if he's blessed enough to make the NBA, he he will be a spot up guy. You know, he's going to be a guy that's going to spot up the guards, going to create for him, and he's going to you know, shoot three-point shots or create something if a guy runs out at him. That's what I see what his future is. You know, he's going to be kind of like me. I could score all day long in high school and college, but when I got to the NBA, I was a role player because I could do one thing great, and that was shoot the ball. Never mind if I can score it or not. That wasn't my role. So I can see him having a similar role that I had. Now, speaking of the NBA... You had a really good NBA career. Um, I'm sure one of the best parts of your career was winning the 1995 NBA championship. You played along alongside Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler to win the championship over the Orlando Magic four games to none. This team is one of my all-time favorites because it was so surprising that you all won the title that year. You came in the playoffs as only the sixth seed and only won 47 games. To go on and beat the one seed in the East and sweep them is just amazing in my eyes. It reminds me of the 99 Knicks, but you guys won the championship. Can you tell us what went behind the success of that great team? Well, when we got there, when uh, I was part of the Clyde Drexler trade, yeah. when we came from Portland, uh, I think Clyde, gave them the shot in the arm that they needed um, because the guys just came off of their first championship. Um, and you can even watch the documentary and how they, they all said they had the fat cat syndrome, which is, you know, they were the man in the city and, and the city loved them. And, you know, they opened their arms out and, you know, pretty much celebrated them all year. And they forgot about, hey, you know, this is another year. This is an, another team. And, and they couldn't really focus enough to 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 zero in on, on the task at hand, which is trying to repeat, because repeating is harder than getting the first one. So <clears throat> Clyde was that shot in the arm, that motivating factor that I haven't had a ring yet type of, of, of energy that, that, that came into the fold and really um, energized Hakeem and the rest of the guys because seeing how hungry Clyde was when he came in there and, and I, I saw him toward I was with him towards the end of the, the Trailblazer time and you know you, you just saw his 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 play kind of tailing off a little bit and he needed new energy and when he when that trade happened and he he was going home, not just to, to the championship Rockets, he was going home to play with his best friend. And that energy, you just saw that energy of a young Clyde come back. And he really played extremely well. 
and gave the Rockets that shot in the arm, and then everybody else jumped back on the same page with Dream, and 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 Rob started hitting big shots as usual. Um, you saw Sam Cassell and Kenny Smith really step up, and role players like Chucky Brown and Pete Chilcutt really played an amazing role. Carl Herrera, Herrera, Mario Ellie, there were everybody stepped up at some point to contribute to that championship, and it was a blessing to be a part of that team. Yeah, as you said, Clyde Drexler went home. Not many people know that uh, Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler were teammates at the University of Houston, and were one of the is one of the most dynamic duos in college basketball history. As they went to the national championship, I think two times and uh, lost against Patrick Ewing and Georgetown. Uh, but I thought that that team was so deep and had so many great players, that that team really is a team that I thought bought in. And as you said with Clyde Drexler, became really rejuvenated. Clyde was, uh, a few years back with the Dream Team, he was considered, he was right up there with Michael Jordan at the top of the league at the shooting guard position. So Clyde yep. was, he actually led the Trailblazer to the 1991 NBA Finals. And it was, it was I don't know, it wasn't 91. It was, he made it took him to the Finals, but. Yeah, it was 91. It was 91 against the – is it 91 or 92 against the Bulls? Yeah. So uh, I really thought that Clyde – I was really glad that he got there. And I thought – and Clyde's always one of my favorite players. I saw him at the Big Three in Lexington, and it was uh, really cool to see him. And uh, I really thought – I think Hakeem is one of the most underrated players of all time too. I always – I actually think that – Hakeem is better has had a better career than Shaq. I don't know, I don't know how you think about this, but I really I've always thought that. Well, I think they're two different players, and both of them have had outstanding Hall of Fame careers. Yeah, I think that Shaq is 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 probably the best comparison to Shaq is Will Chamberlain because yeah. of the power that that both of them played with. Uh, I think that if you compare Hakeem Olajuwon with anybody, you'll have to compare him closer to uh, 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 Kareem Abdul-Jabbar mm -hmm. because of the style of play and the grace and finesse that he has and the footwork. So I, I think those four centers are possibly the best of all time because of their impact and what they have done in their careers to uh, – you know, on that block, you know, it's a tough position to play, being a big guy, defending the, the rim, and then giving buckets on the other side, you know, it's a tough job, you know, and I think these guys have done an outstanding job of, of being able to do that. After winning the championship with the Rockets, you went on to the Toronto Raptors and had the best statistical year of your career averaging 16.2 points per game. What do you remember from your time with the team, and what was that year like for you? Well, that was the first time I was able to really play my game because there was no established franchise player up there besides Damon Stoudemire being the first draft pick, and he was a rookie. So everything was around Damon, but, you know, every Batman needs a Robin. Yeah. So... You know, there was a, a, a quest for who Robin was going to be, and I stepped up in that role. I came in there 
two days before our first game and had a crash course at learning the system and uh, came in there and, and, and did the best I could. And and getting the opportunity to start over half the year, that, that was my only time really starting on a consistent basis. So I found a, I found a groove. And then I was able to play like I did in high school and college. And when free like then you'll see, you know, the sixteen point two a game, Tracy Murray, and then as a starter I averaged twenty two points a game. So, you know, if you were able to see that all the time then then, you know, I would be talked about like like the rest of these guys. But that's how good everybody is in the NBA. You can't just say the guy is the twelfth man and he's no good. That's 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 a false statement because everybody in the league, they're the top four hundred, four hundred and fifty players to play, you know, of that year, you know, in the world. So, you know, I just think sometimes guys on the bench get falsely judged like they can't play when really everybody in the league is that good. Yeah, as you look at the league you see People forget that these guys are among the top 200, 300 players in the world. It's not just like there's some players who don't deserve it. They're the top players in the world. So it's very uh, – the NBA is very deep, and every player can play. Uh, we got a couple more questions for you, Tracy. hope this isn't – the show isn't too long for you. Uh, one, of the, one of the most special parts of your career, of your career was your 50-point game – against the Warriors when you were a member of the Washington Wizards. And starting going with the Wizards, that, that big year with the Raptors set you up for the rest of your career because people knew that you were a consistent threat and could really play. Uh, I've watched the highlights from that 50-point game, and I was really impressed. I actually watched it a few times a day, and I was you remind, it was looked a lot Kyle Kuzma with the Lakers right now. I think Cal Kuzma should watch a lot of tape on you. Uh, if you were uh, you were with the Lakers, but you didn't get—I don't think you got the opportunity to work with Kyle on his uh, shooting. No, but, I did. But yeah, that's a that's a fair comparison, though. I mean, Cal Kuzma is a, a great young player. Um, we do have a lot of the same gifts. He can shoot the ball. He can score the basketball. Um, he's playing with a great point guard that's going to help him, you know, achieve a lot of great things. I, I, I'm really happy that the Lakers got Kuzma because I'm, I'm able to, to watch a really good player, a good fundamentally sound player with skills. You know, he's really skilled, and I, I get to see that on a nightly basis. As you said, the, you both had a good point guard. Uh, your point guard at the time when you dropped 50 was Rod Strickland, and he uh -huh. had a ton of assists from you that night. Uh, can you tell our listeners, though, what you remember from that special night? Well, well, first of all, to give props to Rod Strickland, because I played with Strick for six and a half years, so we are two players and two guys that know each other really, really well. So um, when, when you look on the floor and there's no Chris Webber, there's no Jawan Howard, um, guys that he's used to, to starting, and you look up and you have in the starting lineup, you look and you see, you know, myself, you know, uh, Terry Davis and, 
and, and, and maybe a, I think it was a Ben Wallace up in there yeah, or ben something Wallace. like that. It's like when you when you have guys that uh, young Ben Wallace. This is before the throw. Yeah. And, you know, so you're looking around like, man, if we're going to be and – and the Warriors were shorthanded too. They had some guys on the bench in street clothes. So <laughs> you, you're looking at, you know, coming off the all-star break, this is a win that we need and that we can possibly have. So, you know, it, it took uh, a, a monster game from Rod Strickland, a monster triple-double that he had. And it took a 50-point game. You know, for us to beat them because they were young and talented, and they remind me of a lot of teams that are today that are young, talented, don't have direction. Um, but but that 50-point game, I mean, the first five minutes started a little slow, but then all of a sudden, once that first basket went through, and it, it just seems like the basket got about as big as the ocean. It just seems like everything I shot went in the game, went went in the basket. One of the players you went against that night was Tony Delk, another player who scored 50 in his NBA career. We had him on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about how he, how he, what he thought about during his 50-point game. And he said he tried to not look at the box score because uh, he thought he would stop playing really well. He wanted to look at it after the game. Was there any of that going right. on? Yeah, you don't, you don't want to jinx anything you want to continue to be consistent and play well you don't want to put that fire out mentally you know because mentally you want to stay sharp and stay confident and keep the pedal on the metal uh the, the so i understand what tony delk was talking about with that and and you know it was like at halftime we were walking to the tunnel to go to the locker room and all i hear damn yeah it's 29 already <laughs> and i knew they were talking about me but I'm, I'm one of those guys that don't look at stat sheets at halftime. I, I don't look at the scoreboard walking in. I, I just keep my head down and get, get to the locker room, you know, to find out what the game plan is for the second half, basically. But I did know that I had 29 just because of conversations uh, behind me between teammates. Okay, Tracy, we have one more question for you. I'm a huge Lakers fan. So I remember you from your time as a shooting coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. I was really ecstatic when you were hired because I thought that you could really help out our young players at that time, like D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, and Larry, Larry Nance Jr. to all work on their games and their jump shot. I thought that with Byron Scott as a head coach and you as an assistant, uh, those guys would have great people to go to if they needed help with their shots. Tracy, how is this job, and do you think the players learned a lot from you? Um, first of all, I'd like to thank Byron Scott for giving me the opportunity to, to come in there. And, you know, he's, he's, all, he's a guy that I've always looked up to. I grew up watching the Showtime team. Um, I, I grew up uh, as him as a, a mentor. So I appreciated the opportunity. Uh, at, at the same time, I knew I had a job to do. You need to turn in your field trip form to Mary Beth Mate at Bright. What is that? If you're planning on going to the <laughs> Sorry, there's tomorrow, a announcement going on right now in my building. Okay, go. Uh, Today at Bright. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, um, yeah, I just, I just, I was thankful for the opportunity. You know, you get an opportunity from a guy that you look up to and, and that, that you, and, you know, enjoy watching his career and, and then uh, when I went to UCLA, I got to play against him every day and learn from him. And now to learn from him in another capacity as a coach, 
uh, I was very thankful for that opportunity. Um, within that opportunity, um, Larry Nance, while I was there, was shooting the ball a little bit better. When I was there, Julius was shooting a little bit better. Um, I, I just, you know, wanted Julius because he had fast feet. I wanted him to slow his shot down because he can already put the ball on the deck and get to the to the basket fast. And people had to respect his foot speed. So before the All Star break, that's what what um, changes that we made. And and he was shooting shots, um, shooting uh, jump shots a lot better before the All Star break. His last game before All Star break, he made five jump shots, and two of them were three point shots. So I had it where I wanted him to be as far as an improvement point, and we wanted to build on that. But after All-Star break, it just seems like during All-Star break, people do nothing. They just sit around uh, or or they go to the All-Star weekend, and, and that weekend they're doing appearances and partying and stuff. It just seems like when he came back, he didn't have the same mindset of what we were trying to do. Plus, there were other people involved getting in his ear you know, such as his agent, he, he had somebody else working with him on the side. So that that messed up what we were trying to accomplish. Um, Larry Nash was was shooting better while I was there because he was shooting the ball instead of from dipping from his waist to shoot it like like say a little kid was. He was shooting it from his chest like most people, and and from your chest it's less room of error in your shot. But he went back to his old habits now, and he's not very confident in shooting the basketball. I had him shooting three-point shots, and he was, he was knocking them down. You know, sometimes when you're around and you have that constant person in your ear about, you know, what you're doing wrong, you know, you can, you can self-correct it. But, but when, when that person's not around anymore, it's hard to correct that, you know, what you were working on. So, you know, that's just the difference of having two or three people in your ear and having one person. Yeah, Julius Randle hit a big three-pointer last night to help the Lakers win the game and help it send it to overtime. So uh, I can tell Julius has really been working on his jumper. But Tracy, we're well, so that, that's good. That means somebody is that's that's there now in the position that I was in. They're really working with him and helping up with his confidence and, and working with his pace on the shot. Yeah, I'm really glad that he's starting to hit it. And Nance looked really good last night too, but. Tracy, we are so glad that you were able to join us. I thought this was a really good show, and we'd love to have you back sometime, too. Uh, I hope you had a great time, too, and thanks again for uh, giving our fans a great show. No problem. Thanks for having me. This has been our interview with former NBA player Tracy Murray on the Ball Talk, Pl Ball Talk Pod. Please like and share on all our social media outlets. Thank you.